and welcome. I am Giles Alderson. This is episode 101 of the Filmmakers Podcast. Today, we talk with super talented director Scott Mann about making and raising finance for his first feature film, The Tournament. How he could have gone down the TV route. How he was trapped in a hotel in Bulgaria and couldn't leave until a financer was brought on so they could pay the hotel bills. How hugging Robert De Niro changed his mindset about dealing with the fear of directing actors and subsequently directing Bob De Niro himself in the film Heist. And how action thriller final score starring Dave Bautista and Piers Brosnan came together very quickly. And he also gives some amazing advice for filmmakers. Welcome to the show. First of all, some news about the Food for Thought campaign, the crowdfunding campaign. We did it. Yes, we did. We reached our target. Myself and Dan Richardson were over the moon. So thank you all those that retweeted and that shared and that contributed. You guys and girls are my heroes. And we can't wait to fill you in on the next stages. Okay, why not subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already or on Podbean where we host this podcast we are on pretty much all the other platforms as well but that is the place to find us or our website filmmakerspodcast.com where you can get all 100 of our previous episodes this is episode 101 uh, you can find us on brit pod scene and you can find us on the wonderful pod fix network oh yes oh yeah you can get us wherever you like okay our friends at rain dance are getting ready for the annual Independent Filmmakers Ball on May the 1st with the Swing Era Special. So why not join them Join them and me for the evening of live swing and jazz music. It's going to be loads of networking, uh, fundraising, raffle and special guests. Basically what I tell you about turning up to events and being there, it's so important. Show your face, bring your business cards and chat to filmmakers because there's going to be loads there. It's in the heart of London's West End uh, at the Café de Paris. I used to DJ there back in the day, by the way. Um, who cares? Um, so, yeah, we're going to bring... Basically, there's going to be 600 or so filmmakers in the room and actors, professionals, and they and me are going to celebrate independent film and have a wonderful party. If you want to go, you can get a discount. Oh, yeah, you can. Podcast 20 gives you a 20% discount. Link is in the show notes. Right, let's get to today's podcast with the wonderful Scott Mann. All his films are available now. The Tournament, brilliant action film. The Heist with Robert De Niro, available now. And Final Score, his action film released just recently with Dave Bautista and Pierce Brosnan, is available now. Do check him out and do support. Um, I couldn't have done this without the wonderful man Craig Conway who set me and Scott Mann up. So thank you, Craig. Right, let's get to it. This is the podcast with the delightful Scott Mann, where we start talking about LA straight away. Enjoy. So you're in LA at the moment, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I've been here about a year and a half now because the town is a town of rejection, as we all know, right? It's like, oh, God, that's what it should be called, isn't it? (laughs) The town of rejection. Come to Hollywood. Yeah. And it's have your rejection made. It is. And it's also, it's, it's ironically death by yes. Right. It's like, yeah, we love it. It's like, really? Because mm. because it's a town of rejection. I think people, the sunshine helps everyone optimistic, you know, keep an optimistic spirit. And I and agree. I think, yeah, yeah. And it's not and it's not. Look, I, I, I miss um, home, obviously. Uh, but I also appreciate that. Like, I think with Los Angeles, what because it's such kind of 
like uh, especially the film industry is such kind of like an immigrant pull you know like everyone's here for the reason of passion of wanting to do films and television and you know what and so so that's a nice um atmosphere to 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 be working in honestly is that everyone's got a common cause usually you know that you meet so, so yeah, that's really so. nice that's, do you know what that's actually really true because you're right everyone there wants to make films or pretty much everyone so therefore you you can all help each other in some way even though like you say there's a lot yeah. of yes people and people saying yes but hey that's better yeah. than no in the uk or nothing <laughs> it's true it's true like right? UK is much, yeah totally and uk uk is like you get a straight straight answer right for sure but mm-hmm. that's that comes with the territory of kind of um but also that's not necessarily a good thing all the time a lot of the time you're doing you're shooting in different countries because of the tax break now i know you shot the tournament in bulgaria at new Bayana, yeah. right? yeah which is where yeah. i shot my feature the dare as well is that so, right yeah yeah yeah, so I had as, as soon as I saw, I, I really want to get Scott on the podcast. <laughs> we probably so recognised each other's sets, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely, and it's so interesting, and it's the, you know the, how the place has grown as well. I think in the last yeah. sort of ten years. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really interesting. I think it's really yeah. cool that we both shot there and the tax break and how it can work and how you can yeah. make your films. And yeah, in there, I like I did, I, I, I'm sure you found this right. Like the, the truth is, you've got such a skilled cruise there especially it was amazing and like you know there's and there's different aspects obviously there's there's pluses and minuses on every everywhere you shoot right and there's mm. there's there's quirky 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 things i'm the, sure we've both the, experienced the, <laughs> so true and if, like say it was my first big you know studio experience as well yeah and you don't know any different so you, no. you're kind of judging it on well is this working out is it not <laughs> yeah you should know? i be here did you feel should like a fraud i was That's i was like i remember my first day was you like this i remember my first day i was shooting this little insert of like this um character which is really an extraneous character getting shot right it was this little tiny insert we had to start with for whatever reason i remember turning up on set and prior to this, the biggest thing I'd shot was Hollyoaks, right? So, um, so that was my biggest career experience prior to this. And I remember going to Bulgaria, walking out, and there was like rows upon rows upon rows of trailers and like a crew of about 150. I was like, what the fuck does everyone do? Oh my God, it yeah. petrified me. I was like, oh. Yeah, I know. I love the fact that you chose something really simple for your first shot. I wish I had. What I was your House was a it was a big stag do set up in the forest and we had a right. load of stuff. We ended up doing seventy three setups, which is kind of crazy on the first day. That but that's crazy. the way I'm used to working. Right, and right, the right. Bulgarian crews aren't. You know, they're yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Like you say, they're amazing yeah. technicians, but they're kind of going, Well, I need to slowly put this tripod down, take yeah. it away, put it over here and <laughs> slowly put the yeah. camera on. And I'm going to my DP, no, no, get the camera, put it up, yeah. we've got the lights go, we've got it. Do it here, do it here. <laughs> <laughs> there, was funny, one, there was one brilliant moment where I remember being on this was this wasn't the first day now yeah. and we were in the, the set that they built and we're on top of the stairs and I was going well I really want to get the camera back here how can I do that you know I want to come up the stairs and turn around we were just having discussion me the DP and the producer Julian and next thing I know I get this tap on my shoulder and it's it's one of the crew members uh, Choo Choo he, he just went what like here and the camera was already set up on a, a big platform ready and he went would this do <laughs> It was like, oh, <laughs> shit, what? That's how good they are. I mean, that's, it, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, is, that first day, the same. It? I had, there was, there was about 100 people there. And I went, what are these people doing? Yeah. I had and I, no idea. It, 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 it's weird, isn't it? And, and the other thing with it is, is like, I don't know if you've done this, but, and I think this is just a first time, 
film thing is yeah. uh, I remember I remember getting frustrated that I couldn't just take the camera and move it. You know what I mean? And try and having to get into the workflow yeah. and understand why the workflow was the way it was and things like that. It was yeah. it was yeah, it's hard to kind of grasp that stuff because it's I think when you've hard, come from yeah. the grassroots levels like we yeah. have where it's very indie yeah. and it's very cool, grab the camera, put it there and shoot. When yeah. suddenly you yeah. use working with industry standard people who are going no no that's my job if you do yeah. that i'll be out of yeah. a job so yeah fuck off yeah you do this <laughs> yeah. do you know what i mean well, totally. i'm like well, can yeah. you do it quicker <laughs> yeah yeah can, can, can we just do it faster because the thing yeah. is yeah it's it's a different mentality and i also think i think just as a workflow it's like different places uh, and let's be honest uh, like by and large my experience is that you know the bigger the crew the slower the setups right and i think that's a general yeah. rule but every setup is going to be fucking lovely. So you kind of have to weird out of like, all right, well, you know, certain shoots require different things. So you've got to almost like, like I, I try at least now to kind of, if I have a, if I have a choice of that kind of thing to bake that into, um, to, to actually set up the film. Do you know I mean, it's a conscious choice now. So it's kind of like, all right, well, this is going to benefit from a smaller crew or a bigger crew. You know what I mean? Like, and try and like use that as a, uh, it's a conscious decision not one just to fall into um it's yeah. what i try and do nowadays but but yeah that's what yeah no that's that's totally true i'm about to do uh, a version of king arthur called knights oh. of the round table and that will exactly. be literally us moving the camera wherever we can to try and get it in that time uh, yeah and you yeah. compare the two and it's huge um yeah i mean, imagine yeah. you you haven't really stepped down as much i know you've come and you've produced um, lots of other stuff too but i yeah i don't know i think grassroots i uh, probably yeah i think the same right as you i'm sure is that that you you have grassroots of learning a certain way which is like mm. a minimal like for me it's always been like a minimal way and and i i always like i remember danny boyle said a quote which i always kind of go back to sometimes is that he says like look at a scene and look at the very simplest way with the least setups that you can shoot that scene and like and start there. And and it makes you boil the seed that scene down to kind of its most important thing. Um, and so I, I and I think even with kind of complex, you can sometimes I think get lost in complexity, especially with action. And so I try and kind of look at the stuff that way. And 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 it's always based on like, I, I, I think I've the thing that I, 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 I've tried to use as a kind of tool, the, the benefit is using low budget filmmaking techniques kind of on, on slightly bigger budget stuff. And the truth is, if you have a big film star and it's uh, like, I remember I did this film, Bus 657, it was originally called, right? All in the Buzz. Yeah. Um, it got renamed High Spot. But, but basically the, the kind of key, that was such a, a tight, even though it had big stars in and it had in a big Robert above the line yeah, yeah Robert Niro, right stars, but, yeah. yeah um uh it's it, you know it's actual below the line budget was really small was infinitesimal like was so so much smaller than say the tournament or the hollyoaks and um, wow. it was like wow. really a tiny below the line and so the challenge there was you had to shoot it and again that's a choice where like you could have shot it for probably a bit longer with a smaller crew or with a crew that we were using because it was of a certain level budget it meant it meant that the tier levels over in america you, you and the union unionizing has to be a certain minimum crew so that automatically through a union thing means that you have to do a slightly bigger crew um than maybe you would like uh, because you've only got uh, because you've got very limited resources so so that one became a, a model of like we had 17 days to shoot the whole movie but we had a great crew and you know what i mean it was like so how mm. do you make that work and and 
all of it came back to low budget kind of techniques. Like even from a script level, it was like, all right, right now the script, now the script went through a big rewrite, but I remember thinking, all right, well, I know that from my experience in the tournament, when we drove a double-decker bus down um, uh, an airport runway or whatever, it was yep, like, I, I remember <laughs> the cheapest and the most efficient way of like shooting there was when we did in studio when we just put it in like a in an airport hangar and we did poor man's process with lights just with like the guy go ding 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 like switching lights yeah. on and off right it's totally so super cheap right. so i pushed the movie design wise the uh and and you know story wise the script so that it took place on the bus as much in at night as possible knowing that right i can just sit the bus in in a room with lights and even though like robert de niro's stood on it and it, and it kind mm-hmm. of is a big film star we'll all think it's in all these places because of the lighting setups in and around the bus. And that, you know, and that allowed me to shoot, like got up to like 12 pages in a day on that movie. So it was like, it was really a fast turnaround, but we could do that because we were in a little studio. We weren't moving. We weren't doing any of the bullshit of going out, you know, and and, Mm -hmm. and actually touring and stuff. So, so I think, um, uh, you, you know, you try and pull those, those kind of things you learn, you know, the, the, the grassroots stuff, because at the end of the day, you're just trying to tell a story, aren't you? And it, it, a lot of yeah. the time, it's just what's the most efficient way of doing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that advice. It's so true. It doesn't matter how big your film set is or your film star is. It is just yeah. about getting the shots and making yeah. the story make sense, right? It totally is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's jump back a little bit to how you actually started, sure. because your start, you know, with the tournament was, in terms of first time filmmaker, a big splash. How did you get there? How did it actually happen for you? It's a fucking <laughs> nightmare, everyone man. would be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's usually the sure. answer everyone, right? It's a fucking nightmare. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I, I grew up a little nerdy, you know, like, a, like I think most right, most filmmakers have a few things in common. One is being like a little nerdy, introverted. Um, the other is being exposed to movies they shouldn't have been exposed to at an early age. I think that's another common aspect of filmmakers I find. So watching Robocop age 11 and seeing uh, Thingy's hand get blown off is probably oh, uh, amazing. It's great, isn't it? When you look back now, you kind of go, well, it almost seemed normal. It wasn't yeah, like... It was. Like, yeah. my, my boy's like about turn nine and the thought of him in two years watching Robocop be murdered. Every, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I'd be like, what? But, um, yeah. But yeah, but I, I I always I always loved movies and I and and um, you know and, and I guess those classic ones of like Robocop, Terminator, Terminator Two, mm-hmm. especially Indiana Jones. You know, they all kind of fed into oh, that that great kind of filmy childhood of like that heyday. Um, and and so when I was um, I think I was eleven or twelve, I managed to get a camera. My parents. Um, I had a paper around and I'd saved up, and then my parents put in some money, and I got this Sony uh, Video Eight camera. And I started nice. making uh, uh, short films uh, from 11 or 12 years old, like, you know, sh- shit, but great fun. And at the time, great, right? So it was like, so I, I kind of did that with my brothers. I got two brothers uh, and some friends. And I did that throughout the whole of school. And then one film I did, um, and it was great practice and a great learning and the rest of it. And, 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 and I would enter these into little festivals, like amateur festivals, like kids amateur fest, film festival, um and then and then i started doing putting them in adult festivals again just amateur festivals uh british mm-hmm. amateur video awards i believe was one and i did this short film while i was waiting for my gcse excuse me my gcse results a short film called the sneeze which is basically an homage to terminator 2 but instead of a mimetic polyalloy it's a big sneeze snotty sneeze guy that turns <laughs> into like a little dude who kind of tries Amazing. to kill me yeah very massive um and i uh, love it already <laughs> out of the box it's funny isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and so when and and i basically put that in a bunch of competitions and i remember 
I remember one significant thing actually that I did that and and I also at the same time this was kind of transversing with me going to film school in the northeast in a Cleveland College of Art and Design which was the yeah. closest uh, film course to where I lived and it was like three buses away so it was like it was a bit of a hellish trip to get there but um but they were doing a film and television course uh so I did that and I remember someone said hey do you want to enter the sneeze in there's this kids uh the co-op kids uh amateur film festival or something in Manchester and I yeah. was like and I was being a bit lofty honestly looking back I was like nah I'm entering my stuff into adult stuff and I've got to the finals. They're like, why do I want to enter kids thing? Do you know what I mean? So I was being a bit of an arrogant prick and, and, but then for whatever reason I did put it in and then it played and it kind of won there, won some awards. And I remember Ken Barlow from Coronation Street gave me an award. I was like, Oh my God, it's Ken Barlow. Um, and, and that led mm-hmm. to, <laughs> um, there you are, son. There you go. Yeah, there cool. you are. There's an award. Well done on your, well on done. your filmmaking. Oh, where's um, my beer? Um, I tell you what, that was, we're, we're terrible at those Kambalo impressions. <laughs> I'm very um, terrible. If anyone actually wa- um, watches Coronation Street, they'll be like, that is dreadful. But anyway. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so basically, uh, it went to that festival, and then a guy from Granada, um, a guy called James Bainbridge, who just started out at, at, a, at a company called Granada Satellite Broadcasting, Sky as a GSB they called it, which was this little upstart which had just come out on Sky, uh, British Sky, on one of they had two channels, Men and Motors and Granada Breeze, which Men and Motors I'm sure you remember, Granada Breeze yep. you might not. Uh, Men and Motors tagline in the Me Too environment won't go down too well with fast cars and faster women. It's like, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, so but but anyway they they um he saw my film, he passed it to a guy called James Hunt. Um, and who was the head of that company who who said, oh, you're very talented, Scott. Uh, would you like come and work for us? We've got this new thing and you can like you'll be you'll be down as a, an assistant researcher on like six grand a year. But you'll be directing stuff, making stuff in a real environment. And um, and actually, they persuaded me to finish my film course. They said, look, the job's waiting for you. So I finished my film course. Day I finished my film course, sorry, the day after, I moved to Ma- Manchester, started yep. at GSB, and I, and that's where I learned, I guess, my first, like, toe in the water of professional um, filmmaking, you know, like uh, like doing stuff, mm-hmm. and, and that was kind of how I got my foot into uh, that side of the industry at age, I think, 17 I was when I started, and, um, and, and that process for the next three years was both um, at Granada, it was great that I met lots of friends. I learned lots of stuff, but it was also very frustrating because I really wanted to do films. I didn't, you know, drama and, 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 um, you know, fictional, uh, stuff. And I ended up kind of going up this path towards stars in the rise and studio directing on entertainment stuff. Entertainment shows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is great. Wow. Yeah. But sure. I'm sure like many people out there, you have that fire in your belly, which is like, I really want to be like doing something, you know, something slightly different. Um, so I was always trying to find a way to, to get there. And I remember, I remember Pippa Cross sat down with me. She's a producer, a film producer now, but she was head of film at Granada Film. She sat down mm-hmm. with me, and this is to a 17-year-old lad, and she was like, okay, listen, you can um, you can work up this ladder if you really want to. Like, come in, and she, she gave me a job to just um, do some running on a It was on one of the dramas that was happening there. So for me, it was still like, wow, this is really cool mm-hmm. being on the film set. But I remember she said, you can do this the traditional way, of working up through the ranks which would be you know you go from a runner to a third to a second to a first and maybe on after a first you'll get an opportunity to direct an episode and that'll be when you're about 30 
I was like, holy shit, to a 17 year old boy, you're ages like, ages away. Nah. Man, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be dead by 25. Forget that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I remember it was like then I was. She said, look, you just got to keep making films, and you got to find, you know, some other ways to get into it. And so I did. So I kept making short films. Um, and then, uh, and then to be honest, the tournament. And then, like, the final chapter of kind of the getting into this, because this took, like, from, I guess, from, depends on how you want to measure it, but I'd say that was probably when I was about 20 that that conversation happened. Um, okay. And then I was damn determined to get a film together. And I worked on this film with, I came across this film through a, a fellow filmmaker from the film school. Uh, he's doing a true story. It was called... Um, down amongst the dead men it was basically basically he discovered this guy's autobiography a guy in the northeast called paul hodgson it was a lovely story but yeah we, we were in there in Cannes, and i remember we had a final nail in the coffin something had happened with the film like everyone was getting frustrated like film you know it was it was it had gone like you know hope had diminished ultimately and too many rejections to bear and we looked around the festival and we're like you know, why don't we make a film like this? Because these are films we watch, like like more than this. And like how mm-hmm. we had to, so we were like, why don't we just come up with the stupidest ideas that uh, we possibly can for movies? Uh, and and that's how, and through that process, Jono and Nick came up with, uh, how about an Assassin's Tournament? And, and then that led to, uh, yeah, excitement over like, this is stupid enough to make. And, um, uh, Amazing. and that's Jonathan Frank and Nick Roundtree, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan yeah, Frank and Nick cool. Roundtree. Yeah, so they came up with it. And, um, and we worked it up um, through treatment, through script. And, and, and then the following year, so we came back from Cannes, I believe 2005 or four, I can't remember. And, and as true outsiders though, Giles, like I, I, anyone who's been to Cannes, I'm sure will detest that. If you, you, there certainly feels like a bubble around Cannes if you're in the industry or outside the industry. And we were definitely outside for the first three years of going to Cannes ultimately. And it was, and we didn't realize it then, but it was like, you know, when it's hard to get into a tent or whatever it is, it's like you, you, you are, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's difficult, but we went there. Uh, I, I kind of felt like, right, I'm going to do this one differently. I'm going to do it right. So I set up a new company uh, of my own call, like man-made films. I, I did it the right way, which is like, don't just do it as a favor of friends, like option it early, develop it early, be clear about what everyone's getting. Um, and we went through that process and I kind of put it on a credit card and I, I shot a trailer, a promo trailer, for the tournament um and that that all led up to i remember i was finishing editing it like a couple of days before going out to can um and uh and and went to can me and my buddies with a script now a trailer and literally the moment i landed the first person i showed it to offered me like a million dollars to like mm-hmm. for real as well not even bullshit guy like i knew this guy because he was actually from england and he said Look, i'll give you a million dollars right now but i'm not guaranteeing you can direct it and I, um, and I was like, I really want to direct it. I need to direct it. This is my chance to get on that directing pedestal. And I know I'm an ugly proposition for everyone, but that's, I've done this trailer and it shows I'm at least not stupid. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, like, this is my baby. I'm not going to do it. And, and that process, basically, that was the first time the tournament came to life. And I would say a life-changing moment for me because it, it, it was like, all right, you've stepped through the bubble. Suddenly people are wanting something of yours. And um, I met Keith Bell, Neil Marshall there, and they started to help out and like give it to sales agent that did Dog Soldiers. Ultimately, like it transpired that um, uh, Keith produced the film and came on as producer. Um, and 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 it wasn't a short journey to get from there, but I would say that was definitely a benchmark of holy shit! I've got a real thing that's that's very different than trying to push something that people don't want 
to 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 having something that people want to see happen and it was really like it, it was an incredible experience like that can was one of the best experiences of my life because it was it it really felt like um a change of like oh i i understand the industry better now and this is something i i feel, felt like i could do um and that was obviously followed up by by massive like two years of disappointment before it got off the ground really but um yeah uh, uh, but yeah but like uh, it accumulated uh, to be honest the 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 in getting into production this is a very I'm t- i feel like we'll give you a life story here but it, it's funny kind no, of you know great. when you reflect back is like uh, then we went from that process and we ended up leaving can with about a million dollars of uh pre-sales kind of but not locked down at that point we were still locking into um a deal a sales deal with av pitches so, so the tournament kind of went it went from can um i want to say 2005 or 2006 it's a blur in fact, it probably is 2005 because I'm pretty sure we shot tournament. We actually shot it the, the Bulgaria element in 2007. Seven, even I think though it was the, 2007. Yeah, yeah. does that sound right? Um, yeah. And then, uh, um, I, so so we left this can like so excited, so optimistic. Like I, when I was so broke, by the way, because I went from Granada when I really kind of tried to make a play for film. I remember I'd leave my job. Like there was no way I could juggle both really. And yeah. so I went and, and, and I was signing on, man. I was like, I was on the welfare system. I was like, it was not a pretty sight. And, um, but I was, and there you I are just, in Cannes, you know, trying to get on yeah, boats and stuff. Yeah. Like, I, have to, I have to get yeah. back to sign on by Thursday. Otherwise I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah. but, but, um, I can't eat uh, next week if I don't. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's terrible. Isn't it? And then what transpired was like, um, rewriting casting um we ended up getting someone in to do a rewrite because it was like it was our first script as well and john and nick's first script so it was like gary young came in he did a polish mm-hmm. um yeah. he did a rewrite actually it's unfair to call it a polish <laughs> um, and he's uh, done harry brown and uh stolen and lots. yeah he's, yeah he's, he's yeah. yeah yeah so he's a busy guy good guy and like um and he uh he kind of like looking back yeah he kind of he got it into shape to send to actors, which is something that we weren't aware that it wasn't in shape, honestly, at the time. But totally, I think you're like, this is amazing. Yeah, it's fucking says gold, it's mate. What are you I doing? got offered <laughs> a million pounds. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah I could have walked. And if I'd walked, I'd have rewritten it. So, um, yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, um, so anyway, we went out to actors, went through the whole rejection cycle of like going to every actor you really want and then and then kind of, you know, trying to redesign the cast thing, which is like, you go out to that person, says no, go to that person, says no, and then you end up, you know, I, I remember I ended up waiting for a call with John Bon Jovi. And I was like, how did I get here? I'm li- wow. living on a prayer, baby. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, but not, he's a good actor, right? I have to say it. But, but, he's great, but... He wasn't, but he wasn't my first choice. Yeah. No, he wasn't uh, up there. <laughs> but on that list. That. I'm in top 10, probably. But yeah, <laughs> still. But we did that dance. And then it accumulated. And then, funnily enough, just by coincidence, this kind of coincided. Yeah, it was definitely... This is the dates, right? I remember now. So it's 2007. May 2007, right? I got to a point where I'd done a bit of Hollyoaks over the course of um, those last two years. I got married as well to my wife in 2006, and then I'd done some Hollyoaks that uh, that had kind of gone really well as well. So kind of that that route of doing TV kind of soapy drama, you know, it was opening up, and and I enjoyed it in truth. Like it wasn't like I didn't enjoy directing that, even though exactly, yeah, you're directing actors, you're making. Film, making, making good stuff things. with good filmmakers yeah. like it's really yeah. like even you know that people can frown upon soaps but actually i think they're actually great uh, i i love them because i think they're 
they are able to explore a different like depth of character work that a lot of other things just can't get into. And so, but, but I didn't, you know, that said, I didn't want to really get on the circuit as a soap director. Ultimately, sure. It's hard to get out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really hard to get out because the money's good. It's good work. Con- consistent work. Fucking 60 mm-hmm. episodes a week on Corey. Right. But so I got myself into a bit of a funk. I remember it was like, I would went to, funnily enough, I went to the soap awards because I was up for some like spectacular scene of the year for the episode I'd done on, on Hollywood. Congratulations again. Which was, which was good. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to enjoy this regardless. It might not be my ultimate like thing, but I, and I had a great time and everyone on there, they so like, they're such lovely people. And, and, and yeah, and it was like a, you know, a great group of filmmakers. So I remember going there, but I was in this strange funk where it was like, I felt like the taunt wasn't going to happen. Like I'd had too many misstarts, misfires, mm. and it was like going to happen, not going to happen, going to happen, not going to happen. And I remember it all came to a head at um, Cannes and it was like, all right, we had $2 million in pre-sales at this point. So I had all this like, yes, everyone wants this movie, but we couldn't close it because we didn't have an actor in the role of Joshua and we didn't have like the last bit of finance. It was just not kind of closing up. And it, and it confused me, honestly, that like the sales agent was saying, we've closed too many, we closed too many doors of sales. But I, I was like, but I'm broke. Like I'm having to go on the door again or I'm or I'm like going doing this Hollyoaks thing um, and I need to sign off on this. And I remember it got to really a point where I said to Keith, look, Keith, I'm I'm stopping this. Like it's either we kind of go, we don't go. Um, and he's like, OK, let's just go to Cam and um, and we just need to close that role of, of Joshua. And then we can put pressure on the guys while we're over there. We can make it all happen. So we went mm-hmm. to Cam. And uh, I remember Ving Rams was reading the script, right, which for, right. for Joshua. And again, I'd arm myself with the fact that, like, he's probably not going to do it, right? It's probably another sure. rejection. And then we get a call saying, hey, Ving wants to talk to you about the film. And and everyone's like, oh, it's all hanging on this. Yeah. And so and we're at some, some beach thing on one of those beach tents at Cannes, and I couldn't get a reception on my phone. So I remember I had to wade into the water to get a clear signal to talk to Ving. Stop and it. So, That's amazing. So, it was nuts, though. And I was scared shitless because it's Ving Rams. Like, who's scared? Ving Rams. Uh, yeah. yeah. And if yeah, you drop we'll... the phone, it's all over. It's all, no, it's all over, mate. Yeah. You I was not pick it up. Was, yeah. <laughs> you're off a brick ball like i was shitting it it was yeah. uh I, I, I was uh so no so i talked to big and and yeah and, and i think as far as i remember it went fine and um uh and, and and pretty much after that it closed and, and that's when we flipped out to bulgaria and and even bulgaria wasn't ideal because we had this investor who put money into cash flow it was supposed to put all the money in but then got nervous and pulled out three weeks into prep so we got oh. stranded in um, the green is it Greenfield Hotel and outside Sofia, I think it's called the, the apartment hotel. There. Right, it was okay. a, it was is this place busy hotel, but we couldn't. But Keith and I couldn't afford to pay the bill. There was workers who had built parts of the sets, like the strip bar and things, who hadn't been paid that week. And this investor oh basically had a breakdown and disappeared. And and we had to phone everyone we knew to try and find a different investor because we literally couldn't leave because we couldn't get out even get out of there they probably couldn't um, even fly home yeah because they wouldn't let you no, out of the hotel they wouldn't let us out of the, the hotel bill. and literally like so, so the crew people were like we are yeah. watching the hotel so don't try and do a runner and we're like and that, oh it's my gone. gosh and, yeah. and they're big scary guys There's some of those some guys some big scary uh, yeah there is Bulgarians, and, uh, con- construction crew um, and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so um, uh, yeah and, and I went to that and then a friend of mine, a friend called Gail, who I, uh, Gail McCock and I had done a short film with years and years ago. She was like, oh, I know someone who knows someone who apparently has some money. He's got a film fund. Um, and so I passed them the materials. And then, then my phone rings uh, one morning. I'm sat there in my box of shorts, like 
like seriously depressed and like in a horrible Mm. place and keith and i are now sharing a room to try and cut the ongoing costs but we're just yeah we're in we're in this awful place like my wife's asking when i'm coming home and my phone rings i answer it and it's like and this guy and it was like out of true lies you know when he's behind the the mirror glass this guy goes is this got mad and i'm like yes he's like this is glenn stewart please tell me about the two million dollars pre-sales you've secured what is your germany number and he went straight to business and i was like And um, and business head on, business head on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Put my boxes up. Um, 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 (laughs) He was um, uh, and basically he paid for us to fly out there. Paid off the the immediate debt. He was interested in the film. He said his son had read it, liked it. He hated it, but his son loved it. Um, And um, (laughs) he hated it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. But my son loves it. I uh, said, so go Duncan, yay. And um, he basically flew us to uh, Dean Street, uh, Zillyfish. Um, and yeah. um, I remember sitting down, me, him and Keith, and he literally wrote a contract for us on a, a sheet of yellow paper that became the fundamental binding contract of all finance and cash flow of the tournament. And he, and he was the one who really had the money to make the film and just looked at it like, look, this has got good sales already. It hasn't sold, an, you know, it's got a good chance of selling big in America. He'd done a mm-hmm. whole slate of Oscar winning movies. Like he did 11 movies on a hundred million dollar slate that were supposed to win Oscars. But, but I think that everyone was like, well, why don't we try one that might actually make some or make its money, money. back, you know? Yeah. Um, and at the end of that process, actually, ultimately, all said and done, it was, I believe it was the only film on that entire slit that did make the money, and everyone was hungry, you know, to do more of that stuff at the that's end. That's amazing. But, um, but yeah, but that was that was how the tournament went. Yeah, that's my big long journey. Sorry to go on. That's to amazing. <laughs> now, what a great story! And by that point, obviously, you've got the rest of the cast. You've got Robert Carlyle, Kelly Who, uh, yeah, uh, in, Carlyle, uh, Liam Carlyle Cunningham. Looking lovely, lovely. Wow, that's great. How was it actually shooting it for you then? As a you know, even though you've done lots of telly that by that point, but this is a feature yeah, but film. Not much. It, it's a big yeah. studio. How was it for you going through that process and actually? you know, directing big actors. Well, you know, yeah, actors, I, I feel like you you are naturally going to have, and I think everyone has this, whether they, unless you've grown up in the company of actors, let's say, like for, for whatever reason, right? But yeah. I think generally, you know, you get starstruck and you get the fear and, and it's a difficult place, especially for a young filmmaker, because, you know, as, as, as a director, you're kind of trying to have a role of authority um, and, and it's difficult to get authority youth and authority aren't a good you know i mean aren't a natural mix right um mm. just by the psychology of human beings um and then when you have kind of the star power of people it becomes um you know you can really get starstruck and i and i felt like um ultimately yeah it was like i was lucky that right robert carlisle came on early and he he made lots of effort i felt um to to empower me and be supportive same with you know same with a lot of the crew i would say ving rams didn't you know ving rams was a bit of a you know was was hard work honestly and i think he um you know he he did not make me feel welcome but then again i also look at ving um with like i love him in the movie and i love Ving as an actor honestly sure. but yeah, yeah. but as a human and as someone to deal with on a set it was a bit of a moment of like right this guy's behaving this way. And I look back on it, I would deal with it completely differently today. But I didn't have the, you know, I was I was being too nice ultimately. And I think mm-hmm. like, and I, my own experience feels like actually you, you're not there necessarily. Like you have to play different roles as a director. You know, sometimes you do need to be a friend. And sometimes you need to be subservient. 
but sometimes you need to be the dad and the hated one. And, you know, you have to kind of like handle people in different ways, depending on what they need for their performance. And I think what being needed ultimately in hindsight is probably a stronger hand, not uh, a sub, you know, like, like, but, but in that position as a new filmmaker coming to a film set, there is that thing of like, Oh wow, this is intimidating. This is being Rams for Christ's sakes. And he's kind of arguing with me and I'm having a barney with him about like, whether we shoot his shot first or someone else shot first and it's hard to you know what i mean it, it's it's like a difficult thing so i think um yeah i, I feel like that's it's difficult for, for for until you're comfortable i'll be honest until i worked with robert de niro that's when i felt like i broke my starstruck nature and after after hugging bob in his in in new york meeting him like in flesh for the first time mm. i haven't really been starstruck by anyone um so i think that because that probably was the height of like oh my god it's robert de niro and then i kind of hugged him and he was lovely and he was like he was like hugging your old man and it was uh and and that changed everything in a way in my mindset because i thought actually no what 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 you know you have to give actors act obviously actors are everything in a movie and and you have to give them what they need they've got an incredibly hard job where everyone's mm-hmm. looking at them and I, and so i look retrospectively like I, I remember at the time i i found it hard with being on on the tournament um but i do look back in a perspective of actually i would definitely work with him again i would just do i would be very different with working with Ving or, or a Ving of type um again because i've learned more of how to handle you know what i mean of, of what what people need basically and yeah so, and i think that's yeah. that's as important as your growth as a director is to yeah. know that and it, it doesn't come easy you can't it's not easy to direct a feature film and you've no. got so many hats to wear it's you really do, hard yeah. if one actor's been a little bit funny you kind of like oh i'll just run away from that because i've got so many other problems yeah and it hurts so, let's be honest Jack, it, hurts. it hurts yeah it's, yeah if an actor kind of gives you shit yeah you really feel like this is and that's maybe a thing that actors don't understand well enough you know because I, I feel like actors who've directed have a different perspective than actors who haven't because yes. an actor who's directed is conscious of the fact that it really fucking hurts if someone turns around to you in front of everyone someone at a position of, of mm. uh, authority power and stardom turns around to you and questions something or or well questions is okay i guess but like attacks you in some form can be very damaging you know and hurtful and, and i know it sounds kind of sad it's like oh you hurt my feelings but actually you're you it, it's fucking hard to yeah. kind of get through a shoot as a director and i think um you know everyone has to be conscious and you should and, and, and directors should be, at the end of the day if you believe in the director and their vision they should be empowered to deliver that vision and and when i'm producing things i try and do that too i'm like conscious of the fact that like you're going to get a better movie if people actually um are empowered to do what you hope they do if you undermine it then you know you're a dangerous place you know mm, no, i love that yeah. it's great advice how did the heist come about then because obviously you know the tournament came out it did really yeah. well as far as i'm concerned i thought it was a fantastic yeah. film i loved it at the Thank, time i, I was you. kind of uh, around craig conway around that time as well so right. we were thinking about making a movie together then and i right. remember seeing it going oh wow okay scott's english yeah. look what he's done this is this is yeah, great. Thank you. So from there, how did then the heist and Robert De Niro? Yeah, come well, about? It's, I, I, you know, I'll be honest. There, there's a distance between those films, and I guess I learned like how things worked a little bit. Honestly, like I, I um, I went from there. So Harvey Weinstein bought the movie, 
obviously his name's mud now but 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 like uh, you know at the time it was like wow harvey kind of uh, like harvey probably blurred my ego in the nicest possible way when i met him first i met him at the hotel uh he's like harvey wants to harvey wants to see you so you're like you go to the harvey hotel and he starts he eats crisps while he spits on you and tells you that like scott you're in my a-team you're one of my a-team you rodriguez quentin you're my a-team i'm doing a three-picture deal we're working together and he's like give me all this fucking love and shit and it's very exciting of course. Well, uh, yeah, it's like, oh. Uh, but, um, uh, and he was great. I mean, for me, personally, I can see why, he, you know, at the end of the day, he, he, he's good at courting talent, right? So he, like, he, he made you feel very loved, and it was lovely. Um, and I signed on to do a movie with Harvey, a remake of Seven Samurai, actually, which is totally a cross on my back, if there ever is, like, a dangerous project to navigate. <laughs> Make Absolutely. the best your movie second movie, again. yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was exciting, you know, and I got a, a, an inroad to, I saw how kind of a studio, film, a, you know, like a studio Hollywood film gets put together. We went through this, but it was such a long process. And ultimately, like the film didn't happen for lots of different reasons. Um, mm. But of funny, quirky reasons that, you know, probably don't know Harvey and his, you know, someone else on the film, but, but um, it was eye opening. And I learned really. Like it's weird. Someone said to me, I think this might be Jeremy Drysdale, who's this right, great writer, a uh, uh, British guy. And he was like, you know, just be, he said, like, what's happening right now is what happens is you're really hot and you'll slowly cool. And it's not until you cool, you'll realize you're cold. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, you don't realize. <laughs> you don't realize yeah. how, you're, it's like the, the reverse of the frog in the water. And, um, uh, <laughs> and he, um, and and yeah, and I totally got that. And like, and it, you know, Tom was great because it got me agent, manager. You know, it kind of got, and I kind of start would read scripts, and and I would pass some scripts. I had no idea how. I also didn't know how to navigate Hollywood, honestly. So there was scripts, you know, come on my door, which I think I probably should have directed that in hindsight. It would have been a good experience, but from yeah, but from uh, from your perspective, I think you're kind of looking at like, all right, I don't want to, I want to do. I want to do something great ultimately. Like that's what I want to do. And so you're trying to kind of find the right film. But I also think a lesson I learned over that the period post tournament until I did Buzz, honestly, because I wouldn't have done Buzz. If you, if, if you'd asked me, uh, Oh, actually this isn't true. De Niro was involved. That's different. But I, I think generally I wouldn't have gone for a film like, uh, heist. Um, if it was a year after tournament, like if I was fresh off the tournament board, right? Right. Because um, it was too similar, or too similar, and I was trying. And honestly, like I, I, I was my ambitions were higher than that. And and I guess with yeah. Seven Samurai, that was like a sixty million dollar film. I was trying to get into the studio world, um, oh, yeah. and so and whereas whereas, um, but oh, I call it Buzz. I always call it Buzz. It's a smaller. Uh, movie right it's got like yeah, a heist, nine yeah. million dollar budget it's yeah it's, and and so a lesson i learned from that was if you're a filmmaker love making films make the best job if you can don't try and control too much because so much especially especially in in you know the agency manager world it's so there's so much bullshit around that it's very hard unless you're writing your own thing it's very difficult to be really doing the very thing you think you want to do, because it's going to turn out completely different in the end anyway. So I, I kind of changed, shifted my attitude a bit to what I believe now, which is like, look, if you're interested in something, try and make it your own, make it yours, go for it. And you will learn and grow as a filmmaker through that process. Right. And I yeah. think that's the, that's what I try and do now rather than trying to have control of an uncontrollable situation. Cause um, you know, I would, I would get frustrated like early on that. Oh, why can't I go for that film? Oh, why can't I go for that film? And, 
and and it's not a choice. Do you know what I mean unless you've made tr- like millions of dollars at the box office, you're not mm-hmm. you're not you know what I mean it's, it's like casting. It's, it doesn't really work like that. So you got to and and at the end of the day, you don't know everything, right? Like I, as a filmmaker, I I know a lot. You know, I I knew a lot less then than say I do now, and especially as a writer as well. I'd say because I wasn't really writing that much back then, and that's kind of been a nice thing to kind of really embrace. But but no, bus came about in a weird way where. Um, where I have to be, I have to be where you know, I have to be so careful about telling stories that I don't implicate things. It's like, oh, totally, but, yeah, man, I don't you know, want you to implicate things, absolutely. Um, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think the way to put it is my manager sent me a script and said, De Niro is reading it, wants to talk to the director. Lionsgate just got rid of the director that was attached to this. And they and Lionsgate in the US tried to buy the tournament, but Weinstein's got it off them. So they'd always been fans of mine, but I'd never worked with them. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he said, look, Lionsgate are kind of keen um, for you to do it. Uh, De Niro's reading it right now and wants to talk to the filmmaker in a couple of days. Have a read, see if you want to talk to De Niro. Right? So obviously the read to talk to De Niro thing is like, of course, I want to talk to Zero. Well, I'll like, do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll do, yeah, I'll do anything. I'll yeah, it. It's fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll piss in a bookie. I don't care. Like, whatever, whatever works. <laughs> um, 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 but I read it and I remember thinking, oh, this is interesting. It's got really interesting elements. I felt mm-hmm. it had been overdeveloped. It clearly had been overdeveloped, like, been, been many rounds of whatever. Yeah, too much and, stuff. Yeah, you could tell there was yeah, no through line. Anymore. In. Too yeah. many people and have written it. Yeah. Worst thing was, though, De Niro's part was terrible like it was pretty it was just it wasn't it well terrible's hard that's not fair actually it just didn't work it wasn't strong enough for what under you know yeah. my instant reaction was bob's not going to do this like he's well actually at the time it was de niro not bob but he's not going to do robert. this <laughs> so bob so bob is not going to do this um, um and they were like look everyone recognizes the script has been a bit kind of pulled push and pulled and and happy to hear a fresh take um so you know talk to him and see whether you know you can make it work so that's when, and that was my first kind of round. It wasn't quite the same as meeting him in person, but I remember on Skype, he befriends me on like, every, you know, you have all these people in the background hustle around trying to set up the Skype. Then you have yeah. like a friend request, bing, and it's like, you know, it's De Niro and you know he's going to call and you're like, where do I sit in my house? How do I sit? Yeah. Really scared Reminds me of the song, Robert De Niro yeah, calling. calling. Like, he's yeah. actually fucking calling. He literally is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and he answered and he was like, and he was in a hotel room in Washington. He'd just come from, uh, well, he was, in, he was in a hotel and he was reading the script. I could tell he had it in front of him. And, he, yeah. and I said, hey, uh, hi, uh, Mr. Nero. And, he, and he's like, call me Bob. And we talked a little bit. And, he, and his first words were pretty much like, look, I don't want to waste your time because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this movie. Um, and he said, I'm not going to do it because I, I, it's not for me. The part's not for me. Um, and so and I was like, well, I said, look, it's pretty bad, isn't it? What's on the page? And he kind of laughed. And I might have used harsh language back because he laughed. And then we uh, like, had a laugh about the fact that like clearly it's been through. You know what I mean? It, there's been a, mm. an issue with it. And I said, look, can we forget what's there? Because uh, I don't want to do that either. And uh, But I like this about it. I think the script has this, this, and it's really good. Um, but for the character, and I pitched him something. It wasn't even a full pitch. It was a thought process that I was kind of saying. And I said, look, my big thing, um, honestly, is like having kids is 
the sacrifice of fatherhood and the sacrifices you make in fatherhood and what that is. And we got talking and he really kind of connected to it, I think. And, and we ended up talking for an hour about essentially making a character because uh, in that movie, it's, it's interesting. It's like making um, your antagonist have this big arc where you take a character that he's, he's played a version of a younger version of, where you take it to the end of his life and you measure, you know, the real worth of his life and you measure how good a daddy ultimately was. And it's about, you know, and, and, and wrap it around the theme of fatherhood, which is very like, I was very sensitive to, I think Bob is as well. And, um, uh, and after about an hour, he was like, Oh, I've got to go do this thing. But, um, is there any way, and this was Saturday in Manchester, I'm talking to him. He's like, I'm going to be in New York on Tuesday, um, for a couple of days where I've got a couple of free days. Is there any way you could come over and, and we could, we could try and work this out together. And I was mm. like, let me check my calendar. Hmm, I'm free. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a Manchester United game on, but you know what? Yeah. I can probably watch yeah. that on catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll watch, I'll watch the highlights. And so I, um, yeah. so yeah, so I went and, and I got uh, on a flight. Like the producers obviously were very keen for that to happen because they needed, you know, Bob to make the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I flew over uh, I, and then I met Bob. Yeah, I gave him a hug. Everything changed. And then we worked out essentially his character story over two days in New York. Um, which created this whole new, like, super fast rewrite. And I remember him saying to me at one point, Scott, this is, um, I'm a bit worried that this is a lot of work. This is a real full rewrite. Like, do you think everyone's going to go for it? And I said to him, Bob, if you're happy for me to tell them that this is what you want, because it's what you want, we'll get it done. Like, the, you know, like everyone wants to make this movie with you in it, so it's going to happen. And he said, okay, go on then. And so I was able to say to the producer and everyone, look, Bob's going to do the movie if we do this. So like, let's do this. And, and, um, wow. and, and it resulted in, yeah, bringing on, um, Jonathan Frank and a, another writer called Max Adams, um, uh, to, to, and we all huddled down in Virginia and, and worked for two weeks to do the, to do, you know, get Bob's character into it and to rewrite the script basically. And that's, and then went straight into production. So it was a nuts, it was a nutty kind of turnaround, but you know, like all these things are, they're never, you know, they're never, they never go you know, simply or smoothly, right? No, they don't. They don't. How is it directing him on set then? Because obviously now you've worked with him a lot. You've had a hug. You feel like, you know, the father. Yeah. Or whatever it is he, he feels it was, like to you. How you know, it? It, it was lovely because, I, and again, I learned from him. Like, I, I was lucky that he, because he got, came on so early on, he, he would call like every other day, talk about it. So I became kind of used to talking to him, which was nice. Sure. And yeah, then, that is nice. Yeah. And then and on set, I, like I remember my first scene where I had to actually direct him. He was lying in bed mm-hmm. with another actress and and it was kind of straightforward scene but i remember he i wasn't really happy with how he delivered it like not that he didn't you know it didn't pop in anyway like he, he, yeah it's like know, bob that shit do it better <laughs> yeah he, he, but he, he could do, yeah you're not gonna say but he like anything he does he does a version of it's a good version do you know what i mean like he could read he could read the ingredients on on butter and it's still going to be entertaining but it's not yeah. necessarily right for the moment um but i remember I gave him nervously, kind of gave him direction, and he loved it. And he was like, "Give me as much direction as you can." And and it was like he encouraged that I kind of that we don't get lost in the bullshit outside. That it's a very intimate thing where I'll like be beside him on set, and I will throw him direction. And and he loved being directed, and it made me realize that yes, actors do love being directed. They love being told that's not what I'm after. Try it like this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they love. Uh, or certainly Bob did, uh, you know, loves kind of that that type of direction, and I, and I, and it, and for me it was an eye opener because it immediately went from like being nervous about you know doing that to actually this is this is the way to do it, and and uh, uh, yeah, 
encourage that's him. It's so, probably because he a lot of the time people are scared to say anything to him, and the fact that I'll you bet. first straight away went, all right. It, well, I was scared. Don't, don't get me wrong. I was, I was, I was bricking it at first. I bet you were. He, yeah. he 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 did that. He 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 caught me over that hump, and I and I was hugely grateful, you know. And it was amazing. I, I love Bob, and it, I, I, every stage of the process, he was wonderful. Um, um, we had quite a lot of ADR on the film because of sound issues, so that was you know there's, even on the post end, he was he, he was great. And as a as a kind of life changing experience, definitely, I would put it down there as like oh, that that you know makes you. I learned a lot basically from that experience. Yeah, I can so, yeah. imagine. Yeah, it's like meeting yeah. Santa Claus or Jesus, it's yeah. Bob De Niro. Yeah. There he is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, in those three in a room, yeah. <laughs> walking to a bar. It's, uh, <laughs> which is not real, though, my friend. So you're careful. Yeah, which, yeah. Which one didn't happen? Yeah, there yeah. we go. Um, fast, um, so, from, I mean, in that film, you you obviously got to work with Dave Batista as well, yes, and that brings course, us yeah. on nicely to final score. Um, Ruby Segway. Nice segue like that, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, final. I mean, look, the heist again is is just a great film. It's really well made, and like you Thank say, you. it was for a, a lot less budget. And yeah. now you come on to final score, and it's you're shooting in Britain for technically yeah. the first time, right? On a feature, yeah, pretty much. Well, you're directing. Shoot. Yeah, bits we did of shoot. the tournament in the UK, right? We did, yeah, we did bits yeah. of the tournament, but most of the stuff was done in Bulgaria in the tournament. It was a weird one where I was gonna, I was actually, my wife and I we were talking about this move to LA, and then um, Final Score came up, and it was like a rare opportunity to do an action movie in mm. Britain, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, um, but I didn't think it would happen at first. Like what actually happened is I was closing, for, I was in Los Angeles closing finance, or more or less closing finance for a horror film that had taken seven years to get off the ground, a horror film called Mara, right? Yeah, Mara, um, which Craig Conway's yeah. in. and Craig Conway's in, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah it's great yeah. film. And, and that was finally getting off the ground. And I remember a producer friend, uh, two friends who were involved in the finance of, of Heist, actually, yeah, Robert Jones and Wayne Godfrey, they phoned me up and like, we'd like, are you around? We've got this weird situation, a weird film, you might be interested. So I meet them at Earth Cafe and they introduced me to a guy called Mark Goldberg who runs mm. um, Signature, who has, uh, and some and David Sullivan, I think it is, has a stake in his company even. He's a diehard West Ham fan. And the yes. long story short is, hey, we've got the situation where the stadium is closing. Mark here has negotiated to actually use it as a film set if we can find a film for it. And that's how that film started back in. And I met them in February, or maybe the end of January, but February, January, February, right? Um, in Los Angeles, and and they'd gone in Britain three months prior. They'd they'd gone out as a competition for people to pitch a treatment and then write a script. And anyway, they came when we all met. They were like, "Look, we did this process, and the script's way better than it should be." And it was like, "Really?" And anyway, I read the script, <laughs> okay. and it was considering there was like a two month turnaround. It was unbelievably good. Like the brothers Lynch did it. They did a great yeah, they're job. Great. They're yeah, brilliant guys. Super, yeah, super yeah, guys. Yeah, they're going to go far, right? And they, they're, yeah, yeah. And they've done this amazing job. It was like, all right, well, we have to shoot it though by like July, or the stadium gets demolished. Because so stadium's really, getting taken down. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. There's no time. And and my first thought was like, look, to cast this, we need to do a polish on of the character stuff because again, I guess it transverses back to the tone, the Gary Young of it all. It's like, look, I I don't think. It needed a kind of pass. Just to a little pass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just to mean. do that. Yeah. So it was like, but it's still, you know, it's still a race to get that done. But I remember I did that as we prepped to in in America, we prepped to do to shoot Mara and Jono and I were in a car. We pulled into Savannah to shoot Mara. Like there was all shit going down in prep. And we pulled into Savannah and I remember we waited in the car park to finish the redraft of the script and then hit send and then went and like met Olga and everyone to shoot the horror film, right? And I thought at that time probably nothing will happen this is probably the end of the gig it's like an attachment development get it done do it 
best you can, but the chance of the cast coming together in time is is tiny. Um, anyway, I gave a phone call that um, from Mark, I think it was the producer. Um, while we're shooting Mara, I think it was. I, mean, I would probably have my time fuddled up, but ultimately they've sent it to Piers Brosnan, and Piers Brosnan is in. And, and then it becomes kind of even more real and say, like, holy shit, really? And then um, and then it became this kind of thing of like, you've got to go straight back to London after Savannah and start prepping and getting this together. And ultimately that led to kind of hiring Dave. Like Dave, I talked to about a different role initially, about the bad guy role. He was worried about his Russian accent um, because originally I was wanting a British actor to do a very British version of the thing. And actually Scott Atkins, I was pushing for as well, funny enough. Um, yeah. And um uh, and but you know how it is. It's like a mix up of like sales and values and X Y Z in Germany and all Who that sells stuff. Where what countries? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and in the end, it, it, yeah, it came a thing where like Dave, like I think it was Dave's idea. Like, what if you flipped on his head and it was an American? So like, forget the British thing, but just flip. And I remember Jono and and the writers. They were like, they were like, that could be really interesting. You know, like it actually could be. A, it's a different film than we envisaged, but we managed to, you know, this turnaround is crazy. The situation is crazy. We've got to shoot this thing in like two weeks. So we either embrace it or it dies. And it's like, so it's like, we went, let's embrace do it. it man. Let's do yeah, it. Embrace yeah. It. And that's, yeah. And that was how Final School happened. And it was, it was, a, again, a nutty situation. And how was shooting it itself then? How was doing that? Actually, you know, on set of Piers and Dave and you've got this oh. stadium and there's people oh, in it. Amazing. I mean, well, no people in it, man. That's the biggest fucking illusion of the movie. Like we didn't have any extras. That was the hardest thing about that movie. Like it looks I thought like you shot some during one game no? actually yeah that's true that's true but, okay. but that was a month before that was a month before we um principle uh right? principle so i didn't yeah. even know where i was shooting stuff from so yeah we did go there a month before <laughs> shoot the last game i believe it was manchester United, yes. was it um uh so, yeah. i think yeah so we shot the crowds we you know and did that really we had about 40 50 extras for the actual scene so it was really like hard wow. and we had to kind of back into oh we got that angle kind of from the game so if i shoot it from here we can make it work it was it was a very like again it's it, you know with these movies and what's happened with films honestly is that um because of the middle movie the mid-range movie kind of currently dormant let's say like i won't say dying or dead no because i believe that there's a there's a thing that's going to happen soon but resurgence but i hope so yeah. i think i think so i think well i think for lots of different reasons but 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 right now like there's no middle, right? There's no twenty. There's nothing over ten million dollars, pretty much. So yeah. you've got a movie like Final Score, which really should have been like twenty million dollars, getting made for like nine or ten or whatever it was, and and that means that you kind of have to get into that what we talked about earlier. Like you have to really embrace that low budget filmmaking techniques where you're paying heavier for world class talent, so you're above the line is high, but yeah. you're below the line is not, and and you have to. You know, and you have to yeah lean into the, the the kind of low budgetness of it all. But but again, weirdly, a low budget a film looking low budget and high budget is often down to who you who you point the camera at, right? Point yeah, the camera at Dave true. Batista, point an iPhone at Dave Batista, and it looks like a million dollar movie. So Absolutely. you're kind of in, yeah. in good hands. So um, yeah, so so it was it, it was a toughie. But I, what I loved about it was it was like it was piecing together like the tapestry of an illusion. Do you know what I mean? So I could film like Dave from here, and no one realised there's no one in the stadium, and cut to a shot of that. You know, the effects boys are outposting an amazing job, but but everyone's so tight on money. It's like, oh, we're going to do this show and that show. Um, uh, and so it was really, yeah, it was it was, it was was a challenge, but I loved it for the, it was kind of like painting that tapestry together. And Rob Hall, my favorite editor in the world, who who totally, like, I'm so lucky to be working with Rob. Like, it, it's, um, he's a genius. And and he, um, he basically has uh, uh, helped me kind of piece it all together. And it was a very fluid situation where we're shooting, 
and we're writing and we're editing. It was it was a very you know it was um but it was yeah it was great. It was it was a, it was a huge amount of fun. Oh, I can imagine. And because it was like getting demolished, there was no worries about it. like we would play football inside down the corridors and like things would get smashed and it'd be like it's fine we're gonna blow it up in the week anyway it was uh <laughs> it was really so you got weird. to score at upton park that's pretty cool oh it's pretty yeah nice. and then I'm, I'm not the best footballer so i i you know I, it's good but um i'm better than dave though that's but that that bar is set low <laughs> um uh, yeah exactly exactly it's not high it's not high so in terms of the action side of it then do you storyboard everything how do you because your films have some great action especially Thank you know you. So, let's talk final score specifically okay. but all that stuff with all that lovely you know i mean wow how do you plan it how do you do it uh i yeah i i I okay i storyboard but i send the storyboard for everyone else not really for me like it gives you a walkthrough but i i try and do that i try and look at it from a well i start by aesthetically thinking all right this is the version i'd love to have like just aesthetically like how i'd like it to be like whether it's handheld closed far you know like what what are maybe some standout kind of like visualizing moments that I'd like, like I love a helicopter to rush, you know, have that moment and build yes. around that moment. I love Dave to slide off the edge of the roof and do that moment. And so I kind of try and pivot around and build around the key moments that visually maybe I'm trying to paint. Um, but I, I often come back to, all right, the Danny Boyle thing, like what's the simplest way? And so I look mm-hmm. at like what elements I've got to use as a paintbrush. I know it sounds pretentious saying paintbrush, but you know, like I look no, at it like, good. Like the final score, for example, like has a lot of helicopter work, but never ever did we put a heli, did we fly a helicopter? So like you, um, so what we did is like, all right, we looked at it and, and again, it was like a, it was a process where I, I remember with Matthew Button, the production designer, we looked on eBay, we found an old, um, carcass of a helicopter. We bought it on production. It was like four grand, three grand, whatever it was. He painted it up, did it up, it, like it replaced the little pieces and essentially we looked at that and, and, and again with John and the writers, we like, okay, we, we've got, we know we've got a close up helicopter. We can, you know, I mean, so let's, let's look at what we can actually do in the helicopter. And we kind of built it around the fact that we knew we had this helicopter carcass. We can't see liftoffs and things like that, but we can do all the internal stuff and we can create the illusion, you know, and then go on the roof with Dave and Pierce and have a wind machine and lights. And I knew that kind of poor man's version combined with the helicopter thing would be all right. And then have a little light helicopter and a green screen, you know what I mean? And it was like knowing the what elements you have to play with. I tend to kind of look at it like, like for example, if you have a Russian arm and a, and a motorbike or whatever, mm-hmm. be aware of that when you're set when you're deciding how you're going to shoot it because you know what shots you are you're able to shoot off at a quick amount of time once that setup's in place. Um, and so I, I often kind of like get down to that practicality of like, all right, well I know I can get this stuff my character stuff, my actor stuff, I, I know these are my places, which then means I, I, I'm i going to have to cover this beat of the story with this. And I tend to, and the way that I get action cheap, honestly, is because I, I tend to, once I've got that, then doing the storyboards, it tends to be more of a process of, all right, well, this is what it's going to be, and this is all we need of that element. So rather than shooting a stunt with six cameras and doing it many times, I'd be like, all right, well, we need to see a tire pop, right? That's the element we're going to cut into the cut and as an edit. So I'll focus on, all right, what's the cheapest way of achieving that? You know what I mean? And and we don't need to see all this other shit. We need to see that moment. You know, we need to see Dave's hand grab that thing and mm. we need to see that moment just for that bit. You know, so I kind of try and reduce what we really need to very small moments that are, uh, that, that are usually uh, able to do 
uh, in in setups where we get more than just that moment. You know, does that make sense? So like the bike chase, totally. bike chase is, is a good example of like, all right, well, I know I can get Dave on this this thing, this great rig that the grip built, so I can get the close-ups of the actors on the bikes. I can get, um, I, I can race around after them with a bike rig and I can race side front things. So I kind of knew I could scoop up a lot of stuff in that sequence. And I knew as long as I could cut to um, the others outside of it, it was a kind of get out if there was ever a problem of like logistics and geography. Um, and so, so, so yeah, I tend to make it from the piece, but I look at it, I, I'm, you know, I edit I, and I've come from kind of an editing background. So I look at it like mm. that and I say, or oh, in the edit, what am I, like don't film a wide shot for the whole take like and that's, that's what i'll often do i'll film a wide shot i'll then use that camera setup i'll put it on track or i'll push it in and i'll and i'll get the stuff from it because a wide shot you can pretty much say from the top right you there's there's key moments you would use the wide like Absolutely. so yeah. you don't need the luxury of the edit to say i need that i need that and so so yeah so i try and be super efficient by boiling it down to its base kind of shots and and yeah and storyboards help to kind of show that but i also also think storyboards just are a good way to reassure um producers and crew that that there's a vision of it even if it's not the vision I, it's it's difficult you shouldn't really get stuck in storyboards ideally because it's just too mm. it can really close you off in some ways i think but i prefer to kind of say all right this this is the kind of setup i want and i've discovered that through storyboards maybe but then i'll shoot a shit ton of stuff around it that that will negate the need to do this elaborate self you know so um oh, yeah. so yeah so I, yeah that's a long word <laughs> to say I, I try and shoot to how i would imagine it edited in the end and 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 there's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh footage on the cutting room floor honestly at the end of my films tend to be because um yeah it's quite it's it is it's like piecing together it's tapestry yeah yeah piecing it totally together is, yeah. what you need yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. uh, before you go, final bit of yeah. advice for a filmmaker who is starting their journey now, about to make their first feature, let's say, or about to do their second, but they're stepping up to a bigger level. What yeah. kind of advice could you give them? Um, I would... Uh, well, see, that's an interesting position, right? Like, when you go from that to that. Uh, I mm. would... Biggest, best piece of advice I ever got was, like, enjoy it. Like, just enjoy it. Like, you know what I mean? Especially that opportunity. Enjoy it. Don't be an asshole. Um, yeah. Uh, be be nice to everyone don't protect don't think that um you know be careful how you unleash authority right like people will help you um for a lot in a lot greater way than you know people will help you if they like you and they kind of get behind your cause in a way better way than feeling forced or disrespected you know so i think like be you know be try and be your kindest best version of yourself and enjoy it would be my thing at that level and i would say and i'd also say like along that advice i would give first time filmmakers or people who want to get in um, which also ties into this is like just do it is the thing like like filmmaking is a muscle that there is absolutely if you keep doing it different aspects of it that that's how you get good at it and 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 it's true that like people can make bad films and good films but a lot of the time it's not down to you know there's a difference between a well-executed um bad film uh and uh, and you know and, and a badly executed good film you know what i mean and yes, it's like yeah, and yeah, as absolutely. a director a filmmaker it's like oh you've got to get the best film but don't but just understand that like that's a muscle that you're training up and and, and you know you're you gonna get bet, better at and just don't don't kind of like um don't think 
you know everything ultimately even if you have to pretend you do on set it's like you know like just be able to learn because learning is like i i i hope that like over 10 20 years like i'll i'll be a better better filmmaker and regardless of what i make it's going to be i'll try to do that you know what i mean and try to to keep doing that because that's the joy of doing being lucky enough to be doing this job isn't it let's be honest it's it's an absolute fucking it's so such we're so lucky to be in that situation which comes back to just fucking make sure you enjoy it make sure you enjoy it and remember it because it's going to be seared as you know right it's seared in your mind for eternity and Mm -hmm. um you know so try and make it um a positive experience and don't worry so much about you know trusting talent around you and don't worry so much about uh not being exactly what you want because it's a it, everything moves you know especially in long form storytelling right everything changes in the edit you're going to rewrite that fucking thing in the edit when you step into there anyway right mm-hmm. so, totally um, are. Totally yeah. Are. so yeah oh man scott honestly thank you this has been amazing really no, it's cool. been a pleasure thank, thank you, you so so thank you buddy time. yeah let's catch up on the other side if we could uh, uh exchange more more war stories yeah i look forward to it i look forward to it indeed uh, scott thank you man yeah, thank you man. oh it's been a pleasure being prepared is everything you can make your indie film but know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And remember, if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up like Scott, it's your duty to send that elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday for episode 102 of the Filmmakers Podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.